Christ is our captain. Christ is our amazing leader. He is the pioneer. He is the captain, the trailblazer, if you will. He is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. And today we are going to be in Luke chapter 1. And I pray and I hope that you have a God-sized view of God today. After the proclamation of His Word, one without bounds, a powerful view of God, yet a merciful view of God, remembering His promises, that God keeps His promises, and the promises that He has made. In our day, in our economic turmoil, uh, the, the world stage, maybe lost jobs, Maybe financial turmoil for you. There is uh, wars and rumors of wars spouting and fuming. Where is our hope? Where is our footing sure and certain and stable? It is upon the Lord God Almighty. Our comfort, our position of security does not Rest in whether our bank account is black or red, but our certainty and the stability is founded upon God's holy word. For God has spoken and he has given certainty about his promises, those promises of old and those promises that are to come. So in all the trappings of the Christmas season, My prayer today is that we would be reminded of the majesty of our God and all the facets of His glory, all the facets of His power, all the the facets of His promises, that today, as you hear the proclamation of the Word, that you would worship and that it wouldn't be a familiar thing of, oh yes, we're hearing Luke chapter 1 and we're hearing of Christ and the birth, and, but that you would worship in light of the King. You would worship in light of God's holy word. That if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it would give you a foundation and assurance of the hope that is in you. Beloved, that it would stir you to obedience. That it would stir you to not love the things of the world, but that you would put those things to death. That you would believe what God's Word says, that it would change your heart. That you would sing. Dare I say that you would dance to God's glory. That it would do so much in you that you couldn't contain yourself. Yes, even that you would go and evangelize. That you would tell others that there's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is the only way of salvation. He is the only way of redemption. He is the only way that you can be forgiven of your sins. For there is, for man wants to die. And then comes judgment. And we will all face that. Today we are going to see in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, not simply the, an advent, uh, the birth of baby Jesus, at least the future look at that, 
to forever Jesus to remain as a sweet child in the, in the stay in the manger, but as a sovereign God over the ages. The sovereign God over the Old Testament period, bringing into time and space His supernatural actions and to accomplish His will of redemption. And we stand, yes, this side of the cross, but we are going to approach this text and as we do and see this song of blessing by this priest named Zechariah, we're going to see four facets of God's covenantal love. You see, God has made covenants with men. And especially He has made a covenantal a bond with man through the new covenant, fulfilling, the, in one sense, as all God's promises find their yes and amen in Christ. And the four facets of God's covenant love that we're going to see in Luke chapter 1, by way of preview, the first facet of God's covenant love is that number one, we're going to see that God saves. God saves. And He saves through the new covenant. The second facet that we're going to see of God's covenant of love is that God remembers His covenant. He remembers His covenantal promises to David, to Abraham. And we're going to see even to Adam and Eve. And even to the promised covenant to Christ. Where God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit make a covenant of redemption, to redeem His people from their sins. Thirdly, the third facet we're going to see of God's covenant of love is that God is faithful. That God is faithful to His promises, to keep His promises. And this impacts us not only back then, but today. As we get into this song of Zechariah, we're going to see the merciful actions of God in his covenant of love and so the fourth facet we're going to see in God's covenant of love is that God is merciful that God does something in the new covenant through his own actions his own unilateral actions his one way of salvation through God's actions to save those that are sinners those that are helpless those who cannot save themselves So look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Begins toward the end of the chapter. Hear this song of Zechariah. God's holy word. Verse 67, it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him 
all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Where the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. and He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. This is God's holy word. Let us pray and ask for illumination and see and pray that God would bless our time together. Let us pray, beloved. Heavenly Father, O Lord, we do not presume upon Your grace, but as we approach Your Word, Father, I pray that the message would be clear, the message would be a message of light and hope and conviction and redemption and life and salvation of Christ. Lord, bless us, Father. Pray that You would open our eyes Indeed, to see glorious truths from your word. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This particular passage, you you may have noticed, it it is a song of Zechariah, the priest. Uh, This is uh, now the second song in Luke chapter 1. Mary, uh, in what's called her Magnificat, she gets to sing first. And here is part of the second duet or uh, this collection uh, of a song, if you will, from Zechariah the priest. And as Luke begins even to write uh, these scriptures, he is writing uh, to a man. Maybe his name is Theophilus. Uh, That might be code name for one who is a friend of God or one who loves God. And he says, I'm writing this to give you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty about the things you have been taught. And so the Dr. Luke is, is beginning with Zechariah. He says, in the days of King Herod, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, he says, King of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. They were righteous before God. He says. Walking blamelessly in the commandments of God. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And I think Luke wants us to know that. That they were upright people. It's not like they were perfectly righteous and didn't sin. But it wasn't like they had sinned in a certain way. that, That she is barren. But that makes note that they were both advanced in years. The idea is beyond bearing children. And it is uh, awesome as, as we understand in this particular passage. It begins, and his father. And so in this particular point in the text, uh, the son has been born. The son has been born to Zechariah. And the idea is it's just been something supernatural of God for Zechariah, uh, a division of one of the Levites. There were, there were 20 
four groups of Levites, and he was of the group of Abijah. And he uh, providentially was in God's temple that day, and he is, he is there probably praying for himself, definitely praying for the people. An angel of the Lord shows up next to him. The angel Gabriel, whose name means I stand in the presence of God. He shows up to Zechariah and Zechariah is terrified and he is scared beyond his mind. And the angel tells him, you are going to have a child. In one sense, your prayers are going to be answered, Zechariah. Even though Elizabeth is old in age, you're going to have a child and he's going to be a prophet of the Most High. And Zechariah, in unbelief, he says, how are these things going to happen? And the angel says, because of your disbelief, you are going to be silent and unable to speak until the proper time. And so as the people outside were praying, they're wondering what is taking Zechariah so long in his praying. He comes out and he can't talk. And he's, it says he's doing his hand signs and all these different things. And the people are saying, something's happened. He's had a vision. Oh, has he had a vision? And for nine long months of silence, he has meditated on these things. And we have, in one sense, the end product of this song. This song that is rich and dripping of the Old Testament. Almost every single verse, Zechariah is just gushing with Old Testament realities of the Messiah of the promised one. And the idea is, He is here. He is going to save us. Look what He says at verse 68. He begins and He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The first things out of His mouth is He names John His son. As He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And this particular the uh, song of Zechariah is known as the Benedictus because of the Latin first word. That word we have is blessed. The eulogy comes at the beginning. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And thinking of all the history of who is that Lord God of Israel. He is the one that redeems His people out of the exodus who saves them in a powerful way, delivers them from all their enemies, and He brings them to Himself. This is the God that we are talking about here. He's saying, blessed be His name. So the first facet of, of God's covenantal love comes by way that God saves. And as we think about how He saves, I want you to note the covenantal language that this whole passage is dripping with, but especially in view of the Exodus. In verse 68, it says, for he has visited 
and redeemed his people. Notice as Zechariah is singing the song, he's singing in the past tense. It's like God has visited. God has redeemed his people. And how has he done that? In verse 69, he says, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. But notice, he's not talking about John, his son, the one who comes from the line of Levi. Look what he says. This horn of salvation is uh, for us is in the house of his servant, David. And the idea is that that is to bring up all the images of the covenantal promises of God to David. Luke chapter, I mean Luke, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. David is stirred in his heart and he's saying, Oh, I've got this grand palace that is beautiful that I have, but we worship God in a tent. And he says, I want to build God a house. And he confronts the prophet and says, should I do this? And the prophet says, go ahead. But then later, God gives Nathan the prophet a vision and he says, oh no! David is not going to build me a house. But God tells David, David, I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to put your son on the throne forever and ever to have an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting rule and dominion. He made a covenant with David. Zechariah, as he's gushing out all these realities, he's saying, God has raised up a horn of salvation. He believes the angel's message. But the horn of salvation too, it does not refer to John the Baptist. It's not like John the Baptist is like a, uh, is it it Zophar, right? The horn? Hmm. In war, they spray, they blow the horn. Victory! It's not a horn like that, but when we read the horn of salvation in this particular instance, the idea is, it's like the horn of an animal, the physical horn, which in the Old Testament, it demonstrated power. It demonstrated victory. And he's saying, ah yes, there is coming one who is powerful, and he is going to be strong he is going to be the victor. He is going to be the king. And he comes from the house of David. Beloved, this takes its fullest expression in Jesus Christ in light of the new covenant. And so Zechariah, in these long months of silence, uh, while he is pondering all these things, a supernatural months of silence, pondering these realities that his son is going to be the one that is going to come in the power and the strength of Elijah to prepare the way of the horn of salvation, to prepare the way of the Lord, that God is going to fill his promises to David, putting that son on the throne who's going to rout all of our enemies. And bring salvation and deliverance from us? But he is saying here, God has visited. God 
has redeemed His people. As we understand this from a past tense point of view, Zechariah is saying, this is so sure because God has promised it. And it is so certain that we can understand it from a past tense reality. God has redeemed His people. And John the Baptist, as we know from the Scriptures, he is before Christ in his birth. But John the Baptist understands, no, there's one who comes before me. Even though I was born before him, he precedes me. Because he understands that the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. He is indeed the Son of God. God is going to send His Son. And God saves the blessed Lord of God of Israel in this everlasting covenant, this everlasting promise of life, salvation to His people. He has done it. Beloved, when we think about Zechariah singing this song, not only were the nine months long for him to wait, to be able to glory and glorify God, But let's remember the time of Israel. There were no prophets in the land. For 400 years, there were no prophets of Israel. And you think of Zechariah and you think, he's a priest, he's in the temple, he's going through his prayers, they're giving the sacrifices. And they're probably thinking, God has promised... God has promised a Messiah. God has promised to rout all of our enemies. God, what about your promises of the new covenant? What about your promises in Jeremiah where it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the days of Judah, in his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. Zechariah is probably saying, Lord, where are those days? And this is, a, this is a name by which this righteous branch of David will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. 400 long years. Four centuries and then the angel Zechariah shows up next to him and declares it's time it is time it is time for me to bring in the perfect lamb of God it is time for the king to come It is time. This is, beloved, to make us rejoice for nothing can thwart God's plans. No matter whatever is happening in our present day, among the nations, among the economy, in your own life, with old age or health, God's promises are sure and certain And as we help loved ones face death, we can know that God has visited His people 
Nothing can thwart His plans. God really has sent His Son to purchase our salvation, to redeem us, even as this text says, to redeem those who are enslaved, to purchase us out of that slave market of sin. And as we think of the echoes of Psalm 2, the nations are raging against God's anointed. The Lord, what does He do? He sits in the heavens and He laughs. Why? He has made a decree. Why? What has He said? I have set my King on Zion, on my holy hill. And that is His Son. And He says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He redeems. God saves. This is His his covenantal promises. And God is not slow about His promises. You think of Zechariah waiting 400 years for God to fulfill uh, His promises even as a prophet comes on the scene. John the Baptist is one of the last Old Testament prophets. And he declares what? The King has come. God brings him to pass in his timing. History is not cyclical. It is not linear. But it is going somewhere. And you can be certain and secure that God's promises are coming to fulfillment. God has inaugurated His promises by the sending of His Son, bringing in the new covenant. And beloved, us as we await now are waiting for the consummation of the kingdom where we get our new bodies in Christ, where He makes a new heavens and a new earth. God has promised. We can be certain also of those glorious promises that are rooted and grounded in Christ that brings us to the second facet of God's covenant of love and that God remembers. God saves. We've seen that. God saves through His covenant. And let me just say, Jesus means God saves. Do you know what Zechariah means? Zachar in the Hebrew. Zechariah. God remembers. God remembers His promises. Look at verse 70 of chapter 1. Zechariah, this is one long sentence in the Greek as well. So in verse 70, he says, As God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. If you weren't here in the Sunday school section, God speaks. When the Old Testament speaks, God speaks. When the New Testament speaks, God speaks. We would do well to pay attention to His Word as a light shining in the darkness. Call people to faith and to repentance in Jesus. For when the the prophets spoke, it is God speaking through His prophets of old. And God is powerful and He is good. He remembers His covenant. He remembers His covenant with David. And let us look. He remembers His covenant with Abraham. Verse 71, He says, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all those who hate us. To show the mercy, I love how this is worded, promised 
to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. Which one? Verse 73. He says, The oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So I read Ephesians chapter 1 that, that God has saved His people unto holiness and unto righteousness, that we would be blameless all of our days, not that we are in ourselves. But beloved, if we are found in union with Christ, we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. He says that He has uh, saved us from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Zechariah might have an idea of uh, this political idea that, that the Messiah is going to save us from Rome. But beloved, we know that when, when the prophets speak of God remembering His covenants and saving us, even as we think of God visiting His people, not like in the Exodus where God routs the Egyptians, but delivering His people and securing their salvation, here, the entire context is that God is sending the Messiah, the promised One, the promised One even from the Garden of Eden. That He's going to save us from our enemies. And this deliverance is not merely a political deliverance. Beloved, it's a salvation that we need. God remembers His covenant that His people need to be saved from their sins. We need to be saved from our guilt before God. We need to be saved from the tyranny of the devil. We need to be saved from our own evil hearts and the trappings of this world. And we need to be saved from death. For death is our enemy. How can we be saved from death? Oh, it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy in sending and remembering His covenant. And I love what Zechariah does here is he, he runs us to the Davidic covenant. He runs us to the Abrahamic covenant. These unilateral covenants. God didn't say to David, you be really good, David, and maybe I will bless you. He says, I'm going to build you a house. There's going to be a king to sit on your throne. And if we had the time, we could look back at Genesis chapter 17 where God promises to Abraham, through you, Abraham, there are going to be kings to come from you. And as we are reminded in the New Testament again and again, like in the book of Galatians, often the Apostle Paul reminds us that the Gospel does not begin with Jesus Christ and that proclamation of Christ, but it begins uh, in, technically in, in the garden. But Paul draws reference to Abraham, the man of faith, the man who was promised a covenant. And the man who believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And you today, even if you're a Gentile, you are of the offspring of Abraham if you are believing in Christ by way of promise, by faith. You too, will all the nations will be blessed because of Christ. God remembers His promises to Abraham. 
Beloved, as we think about why this is so important, when all this was coming to reality for Zechariah, how long was it before God made his promises to Abraham? Have you ever thought of that? Two millennia from the time God made promises to Abraham that he's bringing them to pass in time and space. Proclaiming to Zechariah, the horn of salvation has come. He has come. Our deliverer has come. He is, God has visited his people. He has redeemed them. It comes by way of covenant. And the fact that God remembers his covenant, it reminds us of a similar facet of God covenant, God's covenant of love, in that thirdly, God is faithful. So we've seen that God saves, beloved, because you cannot save yourself. All that you do, all that you try to do, you can't save yourself. God saves. God remembers His covenant. He, thirdly, is faithful. God is faithful to remember His covenant. And He's faithful in the way that He is going to fulfill His word. He's going to fulfill His oath. He's going to fulfill His sworn word. And I love that because we think about the four people really in this passage. Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and Jesus. Elizabeth means God is faithful. It means He is faithful. He is going to do what He has promised. God carries out His plan and His promises. It is overlapped. But God brings about His promises. Even though it may have been 400 years since God has spoken and given a prophet. Even though it was 2,000 years before Abraham. God is fulfilling His covenant promises. And beloved, where we stand today, how long has it been since Christ has come? 2,000 something years? Almost 2,000 years? Where is God's coming? Jesus promised to come again. Beloved, do you believe His Word? Zechariah did. He didn't say, oh, Abraham was a long time ago. God's not going to do anything with that. How could God fulfill that promise? Where are the kings? Where are the kings of Israel? Beloved, God can and does remember His promises. He does fulfill His Word. Jesus Christ is coming again. And we're going to conclude our service being reminded of not only the first advent of Christ, but also the second advent of Christ in which we, where we stand, are continuing to long for and to wait for. God's promises don't fail, but God is faithful in his promises. Lastly, we're going to see the name of John by way of God's covenantal promises, this fourth facet that we are going to see of God's covenantal love comes by way of God is merciful. God is merciful. He is merciful to those that are blind. He is merciful to rebels like you and I before we knew Christ. God is merciful 
to the pilgrim journeying through this world, to those that are sitting in darkness. And yes, the name of John means God is merciful. That God has graced one. Remember when they named John? Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. He's not going to be called Zechariah. He's going to be named John. Zechariah had told her what the angel had said. And so they come to Zechariah and they say, no one in your family has been named John. Why are you naming him John? And he says, his name will be John. And at that, here is our song. Yes, God is the God of mercy. So in the beginning of the song, he addresses God. In the second part of the song, he addresses this child to be born, his son. Named God is merciful. Look at verse 76. He addresses his son. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Remember, Zechariah is prophesying in this. He is saying what will come to pass. A prophecy yet to be revealed because of the angel, because of God's holy word. He's saying, you child, his son John will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. Quoting Isaiah. To give the knowledge of salvation to His people. John the Baptist. He says, and this is what kind of salvation, it's not political, he says, in the forgiveness of your sins. Beloved, as we think of the Israelites back in this day, there was a massive corruption in the temple market as they made God's house a den of robbers and thieves. And there was much uh, corruption. There was much buying, treasuring up gold and silver. There was not much honor to God. There was not much honoring God inwardly, but with the lips, yes, they would say all the right things, but in their hearts, they were far from God. And they needed the sunrise to shine and to visit them on high. They needed the light to see the true spiritual light of Christ. John the Baptist, this child to be born, which in this text has been born, he's going to be the prophet of the Most High. Can you imagine Zechariah tasked with that? Oh, your son is going to be the prophet of the Most High. Good luck, Dad. Uh, How how are you going to handle that? You're a Levite. You're thinking, what greater task could there be in all of the world that I have to train my son to be the prophet of the Most High? Son, you're going to know Greek by two. You're going to know Hebrew by two and a half. You're going to know all of the Bible. You must know the Scriptures. You must know the holiness of God. You must know the reverence of God. You must not have the fear of man in you because you are going to have to stand before the elites of the day and proclaim the sinful condition of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of their boldness and all of their power and all of their coercion. 
and all of the threats of death, you are going to have to stand before them like a solid oak and proclaim the righteousness of God. This is His Son who must do these very things. Beloved, I want to ask you, are you prepared as an oak of righteousness to let your words that come out of your mouth be not just lip service unto God, but high praise unto Him? Being willing to talk to a a colleague, maybe someone on the street, a friend, your own family, about your hope that is within you? We need to be preparing ourselves these magnificent truths. The only place that forgiveness is had. The only place that God has said, believe in My Son and you will have everlasting life. Not based on what you do. God has revealed Himself. And God has spoken in His Word and to call people to look and to believe that God is faithful to His promises. He is doing what He has said. He is fulfilling His promises. Beloved, the faithfulness of God's covenantal love, it is indeed marvelous, it is gracious, and it is a merciful act toward sinners. Rebels like us who uh, do not deserve it. We have the forgiveness of all of our sins. God tells us that. That all of our sins, all of our transgressions have been nailed to the cross. What we see here is this God of mercy. Notice how it speaks of the people. Look at me at verse 79. This sunrise that is to visit on high, it says in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. They, spiritually, they are, they are sitting in sin, in a hopeless condition. You think of uh, someone who is enslaved to meth. Have you ever seen a person enslaved to meth? Have you ever seen their teeth? Have you ever been around them? How, how they act and what they long for? All that they crave? All they want is more drugs. They're willing to steal for it. I've known someone who's killed for it. They do outlandish, insane things for the sake of feeling a certain way, sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death, longing that you would die so that you could just end it all, or so you think end it all. God is merciful and He he sends His Son to people like this. To the Israelites who were self-righteous, who went and heard John the Baptist and mocked him and jeered him. Look at this man. He's from the wilderness. He eats honey and bugs. He dresses terribly. He smells. I don't know if they said that, but you know what? You get the idea of who he is. He's in the creek baptizing people for repentance because there's coming a one whose sandal he is not worthy to tie. He says, this one is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Fire. 
He's going to guide you into the way of peace. She comes through the forgiveness. She comes through believing in Jesus Christ. Beloved, what a merciful God we have. That God would save a rebel like you. That God would forgive you of all your sins. That He would forgive me of all my sins. Jesus Christ has inaugurated this new covenant. He has established His kingdom. He is bringing His kingdom to pass. And the call for us is also the same. It is not popular. People will mock you. People will jeer you. People will rage against you. But it is a call to repent of your sin. It is a call to seek salvation in Jesus Christ. It is a call even for us today to repent of your false worship before God. You have the right words, but where is your heart? I pray that is not you. What would Jesus say today about our worship? About our giving to advance His kingdom? What would He say about your patterns and your habits throughout the week? The things that you long to do. The real cravings of your heart. What would He say? Beloved, He knows. He knows. The call is, if you're a believer, repent of your sin. Rest in the mercy of God. Rest in the grace of God. We're going to see a, a beautiful picture of that in a few minutes. Oh, the grace of God. The assurance of God is not up to what I do, but what Christ has done for me. Beloved, this is the message. I pray not only you worship today, but that you go and evangelize. Go and talk about these truths that you can find nowhere else. We don't know how much time we have. You think when Zechariah wrote this, when Zechariah penned these words, it ends with this in verse 80, it says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Beloved, it was decades until John the Baptist began preaching in the wilderness. Decades. Let it not be decades for you to proclaim Christ and to proclaim your joy and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's promises are sure. Even though God has promised millennia ago, God is bringing about His promises, His covenantal love promises to fruition through Jesus Christ in which all of His promises find their yes and amen. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we heard today that not only You save, but that You remember, God, that You are faithful to Your promises and that, God, You are merciful. For You do not tell us to try harder and to do more. But, Lord, You tell us to look to Jesus Christ, the hope, the light, the glory of the Gospel, to trust in Him and to believe in Him. Father, I pray in this Christmas season that 
we would have great boldness, that you would empower us through your word, not only to believe what it says and increase our faith, Lord, but that you would give us the words to talk about these glorious realities that you have declared and that we believe them in our hearts and our minds. Lord, may it transform our singing. May it transform our giving. May it transform our lives, Lord, that we would hate sin and love Christ. May you bless us even this day, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.